So I, I'm just going to start right here while people are coming in and everything. I just hit the button uh, for Allie to go ahead and, and do the recording. Before we get started, I just need you to know I did my absolute best this week. I tried so hard this week, like 100%. I put in special keywords. I did everything I could. I really tried this week to come up with another fun story, like a dog being lured to safety with a sausage robot. I tried. I know that's what you guys want from me. Here's the thing. I can't make news stories appear. I can't just invent them. I'm not Fox News. So if the news story isn't out there with something like, with like something fun or interesting in it, I can't, I can't bring it to you. If all of the news in the week is like, you know, death and destruction and shit, that's the news. I looked. I tried. Turns out, if you enter in cute animal plus robot, you get a lot of stories about animals being maimed by robots. So, that's not a formula for success. <laughs> I know what I'll do to make everybody put in, or feel good. I'll put in a Google News alert for teenage pregnancy plus decline. Oh, it's a news story about how the decline of America is happening and because teenage pregnancies are back up again. Okay, fantastic. Great. Okay. Well, I fucking tried. <laughs> all of the stories are fucking... Like, all of the stories are crazy, and I am... I have to go back to it. Just briefly, I know that assholes puckered. But Daddy is legitimately trying his hardest to show you that he's not going to get angry about COVID. He's not going to yell at you anymore. Only because, not because he's a better person or he's learned a lesson or anything. Just because it doesn't work. That's all. I haven't become a better person once since this project started. Don't let me fool you otherwise. It's all just charisma increasing. It's like Dungeons and Dragons. And like, every time I level up, I just keep putting more points in bluff and charisma. So you think I'm leveling up with the rest of you, but I'm really just bluffing my ass off. I haven't become a better person once since you've met me. Only worse, like everyone else you've ever met, okay? Let's get that straight. But I don't want to yell at you anymore, because <clears throat> I don't like yelling. I've never liked it. I've never enjoyed it. If you ever thought I yelled at you, and then I stopped that day, and like I got into bed that night, and I was all like, yeah, nailed it. Uh, you've got me the exact opposite and wrong. I've never enjoyed it. I've just never been able to stop it. It's been a fatal flaw, getting too passionate, getting too mad. Um, so I do have to talk about this fucking Canadian thing just real quick. Did you guys hear the name of the woman who organized the Canadian goddamn protest and, like, the blockade? Did you hear her name? All the reporting I saw about that, I never heard her name. Not once. And she just got arrested the other day, uh, either Wednesday or Thursday, because they, after three weeks of white people destroying the economy, the police will finally get involved. <laughs> it takes, it takes, how many days of white people destroying everything does it take for the police to get involved? Like the old, like the old how many licks does it take to get to the bottom of a Tootsie Roll Pop? Apparently, the answer is about 20. About 24 days, right around hour 500, is where they're like, wait a minute. 
Wait a minute! These are uniforms we're wearing! Holy shit! So, like, all the... The whole story's just been so interesting to me because it's... it's This is like when the ship went sideways last year. Except, you know, it's a ship, so you don't put human emotions on You're like, oh, the ship went sideways. That's no good. This is just like that. It's as big of a story, except there's people. So, naturally, you're like, well, am I for or against the people? And that kind of obfuscates everything. But... Now that it's being cleared up and now that they're being arrested, the name of the woman who organized a bunch of people to do her bidding, and all of those people were kind of at least a little bit nasty, her name was Lich. L-I-C-H. The woman, that's her real legal last name, the woman who got a bunch of brain-dead people to do her bidding and a bunch of ghouls to surround and protect them, was named Lich. One more time. The woman who commanded a battalion of zombies and ghouls in order to inflict her will upon the populace and was unable to be defeated for weeks on end was literally named Lich. And I ask you the same question I asked when I finally found out about Siobhan and how he was a chauvinist and how he killed somebody because he was assuming. I ask you the same question now. Is God fucking with all of us? Like, I just, I need you to understand. If I wrote a piece that was political satire and I had a woman controlling a horde of dumb fucks, and, a fuck, and, like, the nastiest people that could come around. And I named her Lich. You'd say, tone it down, man. That's too on the nose. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's too obvious a metaphor. No one's going to go with it. Even Cervantes went with windmills as dragons, baby. You gotta tone it down. Otherwise, people will think it's too heavy-handed. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, I've talked about my personal hero before on this show. I never said he was my personal hero. But I talked about him. <clears throat> you know, I, I've mentioned other dudes as my as my heroes to make me sound good. I've been like, Eli Wiesel, you know, like, because that makes me sound good as a hero or something. Or like, you know, Billy Shakes. You know, you, you say those names because that makes women be like, ooh, he's literate. Ooh, maybe I'll suck his dick. <laughs> you know, you try and sound better than you are. Uh, but my actual hero, I don't know his name. Because if I knew his name, he wouldn't be my hero. Don't. Meet or learn or Google your... In the modern era, the, the phrase is don't Google your heroes. Just let them be your hero, man. Don't look them up. Don't look them up! <laughs> even even Dave Grohl had a weird period. Sorry, Ali. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, it was only one weird period. It's not like David Bowie where it's like, he's a great artist. Except for 78 to 82... And 85 to 87, and 89 to 91, and post a mom divorce. Late 90s were really problematic, early 2000s. But he died! You know, it's not like that, it's just one period, you know, where you don't, you don't really have to, like... <laughs> and he's made amends. He chose the light side when the, when the armies, when the armies of the Lich King rose. <laughs> 
Dave, Dave Gruel did his best to fight them, to unite them, and fight them as though they were foo. Yes. Yes, it's true. <laughs> Ari, are you talking about Dave Gruel or David Bowie? <laughs> oh, yeah. Bowie's got a lot of problematic shit. There's uh, dating a 14-year-old. That's a fun little period. Uh, there's goose-stepping and dressing like a fascist in the middle of London, in the middle of the 70s and 80s. Uh, there's a period where he's kind of talking about where people of certain genetics are superior to others. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bowie, yeah, Bowie was, uh, Bowie was, Bowie was, I was just to say, the man named himself Ziggy Stardust and said that he was alien to us from the very beginning. So when it turns out that Bowie's a little bit weird, I'm like, well, ha, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> did you did you not did you not listen to what Ziggy was singing? <laughs> did you think Ziggy was straight? <laughs> His name is Ziggy. His name is Ziggy. It's an indicator. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I knew some of the stuff about Do Bowie before he died, but then the 14-year-old girl thing. Like, I swear to God, everyone waited for me to, like... I, I swear to God, here's how I found out about Bowie and the 14-year-old girlfriend. I literally covered Golden Age for a group of people who knew me, and then somebody told me after. Like, you could tell me before. <laughs> you could... You don't have to let me get all the way through that and then be all like, yeah, yeah, I used to like Bowie, too. <laughs> <laughs> is this like Joss Whedon? I talked about him for 20 years before somebody tapped me on the shoulder. Is this like Joss Whedon? Oh, I really hope not. <laughs> and yet, and yet, the one celebrity I've discovered you cannot mention around anybody before they immediately harp on their one sin, even though I think their one sin makes them a hero. I'll get back to my hero. This is this will be my topic. Is Wesley Snipes the only the only man who said, you know what? I'm going to do Hollywood accounting to the government. I'm with him. It's a shame that he got. It's a shame that he got punished. You all you all ever notice? You all ever notice that Willie Nelson didn't go to fucking prison for it, but fucking Wesley Snipes did. Mm. So my hero that I'm going to talk about today, real quickly, and why. He's keeping me sane, even though I don't know who he is, and I don't ever want to look him up or know anything about him too much. He was a flight attendant. He was on the tarmac. He had enough. And after a surly comment from a customer, and after not getting support from his employer, he walked up to the PA system, pulled it up, pressed down on the button, and said over the PA, for everyone to hear, over the course of the plane, that they were all fucking assholes, and he couldn't fucking stand them anymore, and that he'd been doing this job for too fucking long, and he couldn't take it, and that everybody in that goddamn plane deserved to get a goddamn concussion that day, and he hoped they did. Then he opened an emergency exit, deployed the emergency slide, went to a direct cart, grabbed one beer in each hand, and jumped down it. He then walked away... <laughs> from the airport and never returned again. The only reason why this story made national headlines 
is because it was the first time that somebody did something wild and outrageous on a plane right after 9-11. It was several years after 9-11, but nobody had done anything this outrageous on a plane, much less an employee or somebody who's supposed to know something. So there was this huge debate of, well, we can't, we can't hit him with terrorism laws, can we? We can't hit the little five-foot-six white guy with bleached blonde hair to, you know, not try to throw anything at you, but I've known some flight attendant dudes, and literally all of them were gay, and so is this guy. Like, we're not really going to get, like, the five-foot-six white guy, gay guy from New York on terrorism charges, are we? Are we? Are we? Because we had to have a debate about that, because technically speaking, you know, that's where the American mindset was at the time of, like, well, you do something bad on an airplane, you go straight to Guantanamo. Those are the rules that I believe in as a liberal. <laughs> 2006. What a time, huh? <laughs> so, obviously, he did not end up going to Guantanamo Bay for that. I mean, what are you going to sentence him to? You know, the... the <laughs> The Judicial Court of Heathrow Airport, even though that's not really a thing, but we're going to pretend it's like a Simpsons episode, sentences you to seven years of Guantanamo. Time served for being blue-eyed. <laughs> Didn't happen, right? You can't... You can't... <laughs> you can't send someone to terrorism camp, especially since at that point, you've got the Lindsay... Was her name not Lindsay Ellis? That was the YouTuber who just stopped that I liked her movie ruse. Lindsay, whatever her name, doing the double uh, double fingers at the old crotcher. Crotcher, crotcher. Crotcher, crotcher Rooney. Uh, <laughs> someone's asking, what, I, I'm assuming a younger person, what would they charge him with? What would they charge somebody with for acting a fool at an airport in this period? And the answer is terrorism. <laughs> Aggravated criminal intent. Various nonsense fucking charges is what they could have. And now, and now, we live in a world where, like, every flight, someone is just hearing a bell and just going after a flight attendant. Just like every other flight, someone's just all, like, sitting there, and then just all of a sudden they hear, ding, 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 and it's like, okay, it's time to go. Come on. Come on, Sky Arena. Uh, uh, uh. Let's do it. Mmm, ah, uh, I heard the fighting bell. I'm ready, I'm ready. Put me in, put me in. If you guys didn't know, <laughs> more people got hit on planes in America's skies in 2021 than in 2018 through 2020 combined. That's the amount of increase to suddenly boxing people in the sky around. I remember when this whole nation was terrified of something that basically could have been, like, a Lord of the Rings title, like a ring wraith. Like, people would say its names in such hush terms. They would be like, a sky marshal. Watch out, there's a sky marshal. Watch out, you gotta watch out. There's the sky marshal. And nowadays, people are, like, looking for the guy who might have a gun on the plane so they can knock his ass out, take the gun, run into the cabin, and say Baba Booey or some shit. Like, like, honestly, when I read the stories about all the reasons why the planes have to go back to America, like, did you guys hear about the flight attendant who hit the guy who's trying to get into the fucking cabin to make an announcement? I hear, I hear that there's a word for that. When you try and rush into a cockpit to get your political views known. I hear there's a word for that. <laughs> it's called advocacy.
and I support it. No, it's called terrorism, goddammit. Trying to get into a fucking cockpit so you can get over the PA and be all like, The vaccines don't work! That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to say that the vaccines were... He wanted to say that the vaccines were going to kill everybody. And he thought, like everybody who's intelligent, the best place to put that information out there is a PA system on a plane. <laughs> I I personally take all of my medical advice from the PA system over planes, and so far, I'm still alive. They tell you that you can use it as a flotation device, you can use it as a flotation device. They tell you to get the mask on first, you put the mask on first. They tell you that there's nanowires in the mRNA-based serum that are going to go through you and kill you between three and seven years from now. You better believe that there's nanowires in the mRNA vaccines that are going to kill you between three and seven years from now. That's, they have to, science. They can only say true things over the PA, otherwise it blocks it right out. That's how censorship works. <laughs> I have now had somebody wish death upon me for being vaccinated. Hasn't happened yet. Finally did. Finally did. Finally got the internet message. I've been waiting for it forever. Uh, fun, fun, fun. St- I know, I know. I'm talking about COVID shit, but that's all there is in the news. and I'm trying to make it fun, so this is what I've got. So... <laughs> In 2020, the year 2020 in America, more public health officials dropped out of their office than not just literally any other year, (laughs) but over five times as much as any other year. In 2020, five times as many public health officials just hit the escape button and never went back. And public health offices all across America are still unfilled because of it, because of how many people got shit on in 2020 by the public for being a public health official <laughs> and like just reporting data or something and they're still trying to get the, the people back there's still there's still all of these holes across all of it so every time you hear about like this county in arkansas has not published any death certificates in six months it's like yeah and they wish they could but they literally can't find the people that they need to do the job <laughs> so i knew this was coming I've been prepared for it, and I've been waiting for it, and I gotta say, it was actually really, really nice to read, because you never know if you're gonna get one of the few that are literate. Most people who yell at you that you're gonna die because you took a vaccine, frankly, you shouldn't, if you let them bother your day, you're saying more about you than them, because they're nuts, because they're crazy, (laughs) so don't... Don't don't let it bother you. But occasionally you'll get one who's like, no, I'm just asking questions. Hmm. Actually, I'm an epithemologist. And, you know, you can always get one of those. And that's like dealing with the devil because you know you're just never going to, like, get it straight that they have no good intention. But I have to say, I got a fairly, fairly angry email about how I'm killing people with vaccine, vaccine advocacy and talking about it and all the rest. And how, you know, deep state, being paid, foreign agent, all of it. And that stuff's just standard. But the part about it that really, like, really kind of warmed up the cockles of my heart, that really made me make an extra burrito and enjoy it for the day, the part that really got my ass to, like, brush against the the seat that I was reading it on with a smile on my face, is the fact that the entire thing was coded, super hard coded, and not intentionally, but super hard coded 
in Nazi fucking talk. That really actually made me happy. Within three paragraphs, he used the word degenerate, subhuman, uh, <laughs> various terms for, for not defending nationality, uh, and implied that I wasn't in, uh, you know, of, of the white race, but not in an angry Nazi way, because he wasn't like screaming it. He was just saying, this is degeneration. I'm sorry, but only Nazis use the word degenerate anymore. Degenerate? Like from the 1800s? Only fucking Nazis use that fucking term anymore. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Such a fucking clear tale. You're a degenerate, a moral degenerate. What are you, John Lithgow? Are you John Lithgow? In Footloose right now? He's the only other asshole I can think that used that word besides the SS. <laughs> That's it. It's a real short list. It would have made me really mad, but there's technology now where if somebody sends you an email, you can see exactly who they send the next email to. A lot of you don't know that. But if you send someone an email, they can also read the next email you send. Yeah, that's weird technology that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The NSA invented it back in the 90s. You can buy it now for 10 bucks a month. It's real... Yeah, because, you know, they... You can't send an email without the IP address and all that. So, like, I was just like, well, I'm just kind of curious. I'll see the next email that he sent in. And I clicked on it. And sure enough, the next email he sent in was, of course, a fan letter to the David Bowie estate saying that he had great tastes in women and race and cultures. Sure enough. Sure enough. No, you can't really goddamn read the next email. Settle down. That's so out of this world nonsense. I thought everyone would immediately smirk at it. God damn it. I, th I thought everyone would... <laughs> that's not the whole reason you have an email is because the IP is stripped and then there's an intermediate don't you're okay you're okay <laughs> they can read the next email I send this is bad news for me because all I do is begin every email I send with talking about how the last guy was an asshole every single time that's how I get through them all in one day <laughs> As per the bullshit I just had to send Bob, send. As per the bullshit I just had to send Molly, send. As per the bullshit that is my entire life, send. <laughs> the best line about Mr. Robot now that the show is over, right before the show begins, is one of the hackers. One of the hackers says, real casually, in a long-distance shot... Man, there's probably some show on today right now teaching kids all kinds of bullshit about hacking that's just magical and nonsense. <laughs> oh, Mr. Robot, at least you were self-aware. <clears throat> okay! All right! That's why I tried my hardest to entertain you, even though there was nothing to entertain you about. I have one very serious thing to say. And it's very, very dark, so I'm just going to rip the band-aid off and get right into the poetry. Uh, and it's kind of a mea culpa, otherwise I wouldn't do it in the middle of a, of a nice, fun show. But I do think it's kind of important to say, because it is an apology that I need to make. I, you know, in a dark period of last year, I talked about how guys like me are probably, shockingly enough, like going to be gifted a retirement plan on accident just because the amount of men 
in 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 their societies are gonna be kind of fallen over dead a lot. Yeah, I know it's pretty dark, and I was pretty angry, and I was in a depressed episode, and I really don't like my tone or my choice of language or all that. Um, but I I gotta say. Uh, every day, I do feel like I'm a little bit closer to the Australian episode of Sliders. And if you guys don't know, I've referenced it many times in the past. If you guys don't know, there's a TV show called Sliders. Every week, they went to a new dimension of Earth where everything was the same except for one stupid sci-fi premise. They would resolve it all in 40 minutes, and they would jump to the next fucking episode the next week. It was not a good show. But because the premise was different every week, they got some wild places. And my favorite of all time is... Australia is the one superpower of the world, and everybody's afraid of them because they have more men than anybody else because a bunch of fucking plagues went off and all of the men died except for in Australia where they still have 5,000 men. And so all of the nations of the world are scared of Australia and its ability because it has 5,000 men that it's using to breed. I swear to fuck. All of the 3 billion women are still alive. But everybody's terrified of Australia and it's 5,000 dicks because soon Australia's going to have 50,000 to 100,000 people and that's too scary. No, we can't invade them. We're all women. We don't do that now. No, we can't bomb them even though we still have all the same bombs and armaments and missiles. No, we're not going to do that. Also, we all have pink fingernails and ponytails because that's the uniform that women would still be wearing if we controlled the world and there's no men around. That's right. The Secretary General, pink frosted fucking fingernail tips. Watch the fucking episode. I swear to Christ. (coughs) Every day, though... I think about that episode a little bit more because you don't know what's going on in the episode. At first, everyone's just walking down the street and the main cast is three guys and they're not super attractive except for Jerry O'Connell. They're three pretty average looking guys and one woman. And they're just walking down the street and they're realizing like, oh, because it's the 90s. So they're walking down the street and they're like, hey, look, look at that movie theater and all the posters. I don't see one single machine gun on any of these posters. Something's wrong. And then, like, they pass by, like, a comic book shop, and, like, all the comic books are, like, you know, like, She-Ra, and, like, you know, Iron Woman, and stuff like that. All the comic books are, like, clearly, like, not quite, and, like, hmm, this is very strange. All of these comic books are about cooking and domestication. Hmm. I don't see a single giant oversized bulge on any of these crotches. Something is very strange here. And then they keep up with this commentary for, like, two minutes before a woman sees them and just, like, drops her ice cream or whatever. Like, she's eating something. She sees the three men just walking around on the street. And she's like, oh. She makes a noise. And they're like, excuse me. Hi, lady. Hi, random one woman that we've seen. Uh, we're curious about what's going. And she goes like, ah! And then suddenly, like, women are, like, coming around the corner and they, and they see the three men. And they just rush them like they're the fucking Beatles and, like, they try and tear the clothes off them. And that's how the premise is introduced, that they're in a world without men, where every man and every dick is the most important thing in the world. And I gotta say, as someone who's not as stupid as those three men, and therefore could look at a bunch of comic books, not recognize anybody on there, see a feminine slant and not say anything as stupid aloud as, I don't see anything about... I mean... I don't see anything about swords or violence here and lots of things about cooking. Something's very wrong. See, I can have that thought in my fucking head. All right? (laughs) Before I express it out loud. I can't always, but I can sometimes. And that means in this world, I would be king. I would be king. 
Because every single man in that fucking episode, the whole way through, they're still just all like, yeah, I mean, the women chain us up and they only feed us Soylent and they fuck us 20 times a day. I guess I just kind of accept it. I wouldn't accept it. I wouldn't accept shit. Every fucking woman I'm forced to fucking procreate with, I'm like touching her hair and like pretending to smell it and shit, like cuddling her from behind even though I hate her, trying to manipulate her and all kinds of... Hey, I've watched you women do it all my life. If this is the fucking route to power I have as one of 10,000 dicks in the world, I am taking it, little finger style. Chaos is a, chaos is a vaginal pit, and I will descend into it. You hear me? I can't believe I got that out with a straight face almost. <laughs> every every single woman I'm forced to be with, if you chain me up in the government, beat Australia, fuck zone, lab, every single woman I'm with, I'm doing everything I can to be all like, but it's you, it's you and me, won't you, won't you, come on, let's escape from here together, you and me, Logan's Run, you don't know what that is because it's sci-fi and men made it. But Logan's run, you and me. See, I can be a sexist douche, too. It's just that all the women that I've dated knew about as much about sci-fi as me, so it makes absolutely no sense to go that direction. (laughs) That's the beginning of my show, a reference to Logan's run. Don't watch it. All right. Oh, no! Somebody watched Logan's run. That's a just a terrible one. At one point, you know that it's an English sci-fi movie because they look up at the sky and they go, what's that? And it's the sun. And you can tell it wasn't scripted. Nope, that was just shooting on set. <laughs> what's that up there? I don't know. It's burning me a little bit. <laughs> Ah, shot in Dover. Okay. Your first poem. I know a little language of my cat, though Dante says that animals have no need of speech in nature, abhor the superfluous. My cat is fluent. He converses when he wants with me to speak is natural, and wails and wolves I've heard in choral soundings, and the sea and air know harmony, and have an eloquence that stirs my mind and heart. They touch my soul. Here Dante's religion, the world, <clears throat> here Dante's religion that would set man apart damns the effluence of our life form and build therein its powerhouse. It's in his animal communication man is true, immediate, and in immediacy, man is all animal. His senses quicken, and the thick of the symphony, old circuits of animal rapture and alarm, attention and arousals, in which identity re-arrives. He hears particular voices among the concert, the slightest rustle in the undertones, rehearsing a nervous aptitude yet to prove his. He sees the flick of significant red within the rushing mass of ruddy wilderness and catches the glow of a green shirt to delight him in the glowing field of green. It speaks to him. 
and in the arc of the spectrum color speaks to color, the rainbow articulates a promise he remembers but Im imitates in noises that he makes. This speech is in every sense the world surrounding him. He picks up on the fugitive tang of mace amidst the savory mass. The taste in evolution is an everlasting key. There is a pun of sense in what makes sense. Myrrh, it may have been, the odor of the announcement that filled the house. He wakes from deepest sleep upon a distant signal and waits as if crouching and springs to life. <clears throat> a Little Language by Robert Duncan. And a little bit rusty. Sorry for that. That was written with like 1600 spelling and shit. Delight was spelled D-E-L-I-T-E. -E, so apologies for stumbling. You break out random fucking old English. I'm going to stumble. At least at the start. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Redemption. Pale gold and crumbling with crust-mottled dark, almost bronze. Pieces of honeycomb lie on a plate, flecked with a pale paper of hive. Their hexagonal cells leak into the deepening pool of amber. On your lips, against palate, tooth, and tongue, the vicious sugar squeezes from its chambers, sears sweetness into your throat until you chew pulp and wax from a blue city of bees. Between your teeth, the blue flower and the flower's seed. Passport pages stamped and turning. Death's officious hum. Both the candle and its anther aflame. You own yellow hunger. Never say you can't take this world into your mouth. All right. Appetite by Paul Ann Peterson. And now we have to fucking see if that's a word. I've never heard of anther before. A part of the stamen that contains the pollen. Well, apparently I have. I just haven't remembered my flower analogy. All right. That's two poems at the start with a bunch of fucking bullshit flowerly language. Let's see if we have a third. <laughs> I wanted to fucking rock this out for you, Knight. I have all kinds of fucking archaic goddamn poetry. Let's see what's next. Ooh, ooh, oh to a counterblast. Oh, counterblast and jabberwocky. Whoop, boop, boop, boop. All right. I just learned the word counterblast. That's why I said the word. C-O-U-N-T-E-R-B-A-L-S-T-E, counterblast. And, uh... At first, I looked at that word, and I said, well, that's a pretty good word. Like, it means to, it means to send a, a thoughtful and, and strong uh, response in the opposite. A counterblast. But then I realized, I hate every headline that says blasted or blasts, and that's the exact same thing. I hate every single headline that says, like, this person blasts this or this person blasted that. But that's all a counterblast would be. It just sounds more official. Oh, John Stewart counterblasts Bill O'Reilly. Ooh. Ooh, now it's official. Mm, counterblast. 
It's probably not how you're supposed to say it, but that is how you're spelled. Okay. <clears throat> That's enough complaining from me. I just don't like being dyslexic. In an effort to get people to look into each other's eyes more, and also to appease the mutes, the government has decided to allot each person exactly 167 words per day. When the phone rings, I put it to my ear without saying hello. In the restaurant, I point at my chicken noodle soup. I am adjusting well to the new way. Late at night, I call my long-distance lover proudly, say I only used 59 today. I saved the rest for you. When she doesn't respond, I know she's used all of her words. So I slowly whisper, I love you. 32 and a third times. After that, we just sit on the line and listen to each other breathe. The Quiet World, Jeffrey McDaniel. <clears throat> there is this tea I have sometimes. Oh, all right, sorry, my bad. <clears throat> No? Okay. Well, sorry. It's formatted in a strange way. I've got it now. <clears throat> there is this tea I have sometimes, Panlong Ying Hao, so tightly curled it looks like tiny roots, gnarled, a greenish gray. When it steeps, it opens the way you woke this morning, stretching, your hands behind your head, back arched, toes pointing, a smile steeped in ceremony. A celebration, the reaching of your arms. <laughs> Green Tea by Dale Ritterbush. And that is absolutely not how I would describe having green tea when I first wake up. So maybe I need to try this Pan Long shit. That sounds amazing. Normally I drink green tea and it's like, ooh, oh, oh, balls are jiggling. Keep it going. Let's see what happens. At last, I can be with you. The grinding hours since I left your side. The labor of being fully human, working my opposable thumb, talking and walking upright. Now I have unclasped, unzipped, stepped out of, hussed, soft, a beer only. I do nothing but point my bare feet into your clean smoothness, feel your quiet strength, the whole length of my body. I close my eyes and hear myself moan, so grateful to be held this way. <laughs> All right, this is adorable. <clears throat> In praise of my bed, Meredith Holmes. <laughs> uh, I said before, and I'll say it again, the only time I was ever tempted to buy fucking sports shoes was a commercial little 30-second spot where a woman hears her alarm go off at 5.30. She sits up on the side of her bed, and her bed starts talking to her like, Come on, baby. You know you just want to get back in. Oh, I'm so warm and lonely without you. Come on, baby. Come on back to me. <laughs> <laughs> Only time I'm like, yep, 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 yep. That is 100% true. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. 
The first time we made love, I realized why I'd never prayed. One human can only say, oh my God, so many times. The Atheist by Megan Fowley, F-A-L-L-E-Y. My life is filled with the souls of women I love, the ones who make my belly ache from laughter, who catch my tears, who show up on my doorstep to celebrate and grieve, who defend me when I'm unkind to myself. Their women will love my children, dance as we age, protect my secrets, share in my joy, sing even when we're sinking in sorrow. They walk close, promising their lives to me, a marriage without a wedding, a commitment without a ring. If you have these women too, remember, the soulmate is a wonderful thought, but look how beautiful these love stories are. Look how they make you full. That was gorgeous. Marriage of Friends by Hannah Rosenberg. Oh, she had a different person. Fair enough. Uh Uh-oh. Nope. Thought I was done with poems, but I'm not. Okay. Maybe we are supposed to meet the wrong people before meeting the right ones, so that when we finally meet the right person, we will know how to be grateful for that gift. Maybe it is true that we don't know how we have... (laughs) Maybe... It is true that we don't know what we have got until we lose it, but it is also true that we don't know what we have been missing until it arrives. A little clumsy, I'm sorry. Maybe the happiest of people don't necessarily have the best of everything. They just make the most of everything that comes along their way. Maybe the best kind of love is the kind you can sit on a sofa together and never say a word, and then walk away feeling like it was the best conversation you've ever had. Maybe you shouldn't go for looks. They can deceive. Don't go for wealth. Even that fades away. Go for someone who makes you smile, because it only takes a smile to make a dark day seem bright. Maybe you should hope for enough happiness to make you sweet, enough trials to make you strong, enough sorrow to keep you human, enough hope to make you happy. Maybe love is not about finding the perfect person. It's about learning to see an imperfect person perfectly. Maybe by Anonymous. I loved you first, but afterwards your love outsoaring mine sang such a loftier song as drowned that family cooling of my heart, which owes the other most. My love was long, and yours one moment seemed to wax more strong. I loved and guessed at you. You construed me and loved me for what might or might not be, nay, Weights and measures do us both a wrong, 
For verily, love knows not mine or thine, with separate I and thou. Free love has done. For one is both, and both are in love. Rich love knows not of thine that is not mine. Both have the strength, and both have the length thereof, both of us, the love which makes us one. I loved you first, but afterwards your love. By Christina Rossetti After all, there's no need to say anything at first. An orange, peeled and quartered, flares like a tulip on a wood wedge plate. Anything can happen. Outside the sun has rolled up her rugs and night-strewn salt across the sky. My heart is humming a tune I haven't heard in years. Quiet's cool flesh. Let's sniff and eat it. There are ways to make the moment a topiary, so the pleasure's in walking through. Flirtation by Rita Dove Guy calls the doctor, says that his wife's contractions are five minutes apart. Doctor says, is this her first child? Guy says, no, it's her husband. I promise to try and remember who I am. Wife gets up on one elbow, says, I wanted to get married. It seemed a fulfillment of some of several things, a thing to be done. Even the diamond ring was something like a quest, a thing they set you out to get, and how insane that quest is. You have to turn in every way before you can even think to seek it. The metaphysical refraining is in fact the quest. Who'd have guessed? She sighs. I like the predictability of two. I like my pleasures fully expected when the expectation of the grows patterned in the steady surprise. I've got my sweet and tumble pat. Here on earth, I like to count upon a thing like that, thus explain the woman in contractions to her lover holding on the telephone for the doctor to recover from this strange conversational turn. You say you're whom? It is a pleasure to meet you. She rolls her eyes, but he'd once asked her, Am I your first lover? And she said, Could be. Your face looks familiar. It's the same kind of generative error. The grammar of the spoken word will flip, let alone the written, until something new is in us and in our conversation. Love Explained Jennifer Michael Hecht, H-E-C-H-T My goodness. Boy, this next poem just gets off right out the gate. So here we go. I just, I have to close my eyes for a second. Take, take the blush away. And here we go. <clears throat> Opening line. Here we go. <laughs> Tenderness and rot share a border. And rot is an aggressive neighbor whose iridescence keeps creeping over. No lessons can be drawn from this, however. One is not two countries, 
one is not meat corrupting. It is important to stay sweet and loving. Tenderness and Rot by Cat Ryan I'm starting to feel like some corrupted meat after that. I don't want to be tender. Those are my choices? Open field or rotting, corrupting meat? That's a hard one. Take, oh, take those lips away that so sweetly were forsworn and those eyes like break of day, lights that do mislead the morn. But my kisses bring again seals of love, though sealed in vain. Hide, oh hide, those hills of snow, which thy frozen bosom bears, on whose top the pinks that grow, and all those that April wears. But first set my poor heart free, bound in those icy chains by thee. Take, oh, take those lips away, by John Fletcher. And it's our last poem of the day. Hope you've been enjoying them. Thank you to everybody who sent a poem in. Please send them in next week. Don't be shy just because I grumbled because I was shy and dyslexic at the beginning. I got going. Next week we'll have a fucking fun story that I can read or something before we get into the poetry. I got all warmed up. I appreciate you all very much. Hope you enjoy the poetry. It means so much that you guys come out, you say hello, support the show, and all the rest. Last poem of the night. Here we go. When he invites you home for dinner, don't forget, men don't cook lust. Come dressed as salad. He's a brimming bottle of cream. You come with the swag of waste beads. He's stock. Safe for this apron of desire. It's lust o'clock. Spice the night with chilly charm. Oh, virtuous temptress. Put knife to skin, chef of thrill and bliss. Pure mutual yearnings. Chop keen appetite. Flip the barbecue prick. Roast him or grill his hips. Don't forget, we don't process temptation. Chef by Gide Badmus, J-I-D-E-B-A-D-M-U-S. We don't process temptation? You don't process temptation? You don't process temptation? I'm a freak. I can process temptation. <laughs> oh, process like cooking. Uh, that's clever. I didn't get that. Well done, Arya. I didn't get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> so, uh, my big cooking experiment, because uh, it's been cold the last, uh, you know, last 10 days or so in and out. Uh, there's nothing better to eat on a cold day than a giant fucking pancake. So I've been making Dutch babies. Uh, which are just kind of a German pancake that you bake in an iron skillet in the oven. Uh, they're really, really quite good, delicious, cheap, all the rest. I've been just trying to perfect them. So the thing that you 
if you didn't grow up like you know being able to cook or whatnot in your house or you you know you had parents like mine who were just you know pretty shitty and didn't know anything but also involved themselves in everything you did because you know what else are they going to do they don't have any friends or fun or you know personal lives um so you know they were always about like how you have to stir the batter until it has no lumps and everything and i've learned on cooking on my own this is the exact opposite of true you want a good pancake batter you're looking to just basically very lightly uh combine all the ingredients so that they're moist and that's all you want to do it's fine if it's lumpy in fact, it's probably good if it's lumpy. You just basically, like I don't even use a whisk anymore. I just use a, a rubber spoon. And I basically just lightly try and get everything together uh, in the bowl. And then the other uh, a tip that no one's ever going to follow uh, that I can, I can probably say works every time that you'll never listen to in a million years uh, is that you're supposed to let it sit in the fridge for a couple of hours after you lightly, lightly mix it. There's no way you're doing that. I know that. I'm a freak. I'm happy to mix the pancake batter the night before and then pour it in the morning. I think that's exciting and fun. I know you're not going to do that. You mix the pancake batter, you're immediately making a fucking pancake. I hear you. Uh, but that is what I've learned, and that is my advice, is you, is you very, very, very gently combine it, and then you let it sit and let all the gluten recombine, and that's how you get your best pancakes. Let chill in the fridge a couple hours, and then you pour it on the griddle once you get it nice and hot. Uh, I was really curious, though, because, of course, I know from making other kinds of bread and what have you over the years that the more you combine something, uh, a dough, like the more you whisk it, especially the more air you put into it. And so I was just kind of curious because I know the main cooking mechanism in popovers and Dutch babies and all that is steam, and that's why you want that density in in the skillet. You want the denseness to be pushing down, the steam to be pushing up on all edges. That's what gives it a nice little crispy crust and then bacon in the middle and all the rest. It's the, it's the fight between the density and the steam going back and forth while the whole thing cooks, yeah. So uh, I was just like, well, if you, if you whisk the hell out of it, it'll aerate. And I'm real curious what a super aerated Dutch baby would be like. And it takes me about 10 minutes to get the oven hot enough to make one. So what I'm going to do as an experiment, because it's just a little bit of dough, is I'm just going to put the cast iron skillet in the oven as it heats up the whole way through and get it really, really hot. And then the whole way it's heating up, just as an experiment, I'm going to whisk the shit out of this dough. Like... The whole time the oven's heating up, I'm going to spin that just whisking, 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 and putting as much air into this Dutch baby as possible as an experiment. And so I'm just going like crazy. I got my little stainless steel metal bowl, my stainless steel whisk. I'm, I'm just the whole time through. And I'm like, I'm going hardcore, as hard as I can. I'm legitimately trying to stir at least 200 fucking like revolutions a minute. The whole way through. I'm like, I literally, I break a sweat even though it's cold in the kitchen. I'm making this at like 2 a.m. at night. I'm like stirring the motherfuck out of it. I'm, I'm literally stirring it until it's time to pull it out and uh, the, the skillet out. And I literally pull the skillet out with my left hand while stirring with my right because the aeration stops the moment you stop stirring with the motherfucking dough. I know this from practice. So I'm stirring, 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 stirring. I throw the butter in with my left hand. I'm swirling it around in the pan. I'm circling with my right. I get it all going. I pour the fucking batter in. 
I pour uh, the, the, the skillet. I get the skillet back in the oven as quick as possible. As quick as fucking possible. No time to wait. And I shut the fucking door and I put the timer on the normal amount of time, knowing that that's definitely the part of the experiment that's going to be fucky. So I wait. I have to pull it out just a couple of minutes early, even though it's the same amount of dough because it's cooking just a little bit quicker because it's so much thinner. And what I got... I wish I had taken a picture before I had punched into it. Because after after I punched into it, it wouldn't make any sense. But I got, when I pulled it out, this incredibly giant ball of doughy air. Like I made a 12-inch sopapilla. And it was the most exciting thing. I pulled it out, and it was so fucking cool. It had to have been at least 7 inches tall. One side of it was a little bit burnt because it grew so high it got close to the boiler the side with a little bit more butter on it grew so high it got a little bit close to the boiler so it had a little bit of like a little black bark a little bit of scoring on top of it uh naturally from the heat because <laughs> it rose so high but was so thin that the heat started like pressing it down and like crumpled and i ate the shit out of that pancake do you understand that it was like seven inches high but it was still only like 700 calories so i had a giant ufo pancake as an experiment was it good or tasty yeah it was okay i'm never doing it again but i was like i gotta know what the opposite end of this is i have to know what a super fucking whist uh dutch baby looks like now that i've now that i've made them as dense as fucking possible i gotta know how the other half lives and uh the whole after i was eating it and everything and doing the dishes i was like that's new that's very interesting for me that I, I just like walked into the kitchen like I'm going to make a Dutch baby. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm going to make a fucking Frankenstein experiment. Let's do it. It'll be great. And it felt absolutely fantastic. Should you, should you, feel, uh, should you feel jealous of this and hungry? And the answer is fuck yes, you should. I'm never ordering another pancake again for as long as I live. Now that I know how to make these things. And also, I know how fucking impressive it is. Because I can hide this from you. I can make this dough in under 90 fucking seconds. Piece of cake. It's five ingredients. And then I can hide it in your fridge. You understand? I can hide it while it's slowly gestating and those gluten strands are combining. And then the next thing you fucking know, after I've loved on you and eaten your pussy and slapped your ass all good and you're all asleep and shit and I've told you that your sister is actually crazy, I don't normally say that, like all of it, after I've done all of it, all of it, you're gone. You're out of this world. You only come back into it when you realize that the heat of my body is no longer next to yours and you smell the most delicious pancake fumes wafting from the oven. That's right. I just, I fucking savage you from the moment you come back to consciousness the next day. I just, I don't let it end. This is how I David Bowie you as hard as I possibly can. Should you be jealous? Absolutely. Some woman somewhere out there in the future, none now. The cat's not interested, so it's just me eating these motherfuckers. But some woman in the in, in the future is just going to get pancaked. She's just going to wake up to a pancake. There's not even going to be any dishes or anything either because it's a one fucking, one bowl, one fucking pan recipe. So there's nothing. There's nothing. She's just going to wake up to pancake. Just pancake. Waking up to it. Unexpected. There it is. 
and from there I will destroy her. Okay, love letters. I cannot keep myself from writing you any longer. Oh, no. Wow, why am I messing up so much with the first sentences today? I don't know what's going on. This is the last time I come sober. The last couple of times I came sober, it was great. This time it sucked. <laughs> but at least when I come high, I'll just improvise something, and it'll kind of sound 1800s until I get back to the next sentence. When I'm sober, I'm like, mm, you didn't do that right. Okay. <laughs> I cannot keep myself from writing any longer to you, dearest. Although I have not had my answer to either of my two letters. Uh-oh. I suppose your mother does not allow you to write to me. <laughs> There's a lot of ways this place could go. I don't know who's, who's writing this. There's a lot of places this could go. This has sounded real insulty, though. Uh, I showed you my diction. Please respond. Okay. <clears throat> Perhaps you have... I'm so fucking clever. Perhaps you have not got either of my letters. I am so dreadfully afraid that perhaps you may think I am forgetting you. I can assure you, dearest Jeanette, you are not been out of my thoughts hardly for one minute since I left you Monday. Uh-oh. I have written to my father everything. How much I love you and how much I long and pray and how much I would sacrifice if it were necessary to be married to you and live ever after with you. I shall not get an answer till Monday. And whichever way it lies, I shall go to cows soon. Soon after. Okay. And tell your mother everything. I'm afraid that she does not like me very much from what I have heard. <laughs> I would do anything she wished if only she would not oppose us. Dearest, if you're as fond of me as I am of you, nothing human could keep us long apart. The last week has seemed an eternity to me. Oh, I would give my soul for another of those days we had together not long ago. Oh, if I could only get one line from you to reassure me. But I dare not ask you to do anything that your mother would disapprove of or has perhaps forbidden you to do. Sometimes I doubt, so I cannot help whether you really like me as you said at cows you did. If you do, I cannot fear for the future, though. Difficulties, and it's spelled T-H-O. The future, though, T-H-O. Difficulties may lie in our way only to be surmounted by patience. Goodbye, dearest Jeanette, my first and only love. Believe me, ever to be yours devotedly and longingly, Randolph. Oh! Love letter, Randolph S. Churchill to Jeanette. Winston Churchill's parents. <laughs> huh. So one Churchill got all of the self-esteem and then like a tree that saps the nutrients, none of the rest of them got them? That's, that's kind of interesting.
Elms do that. Elms will destroy all the other trees around the elms. It's true. They're very elmy. Okay. <laughs> Sophie. To be with the people one loves, says La Brere, is enough. To dream you are speaking to them, not speaking to them, thinking of them, thinking of the most indifferent things, but their side, nothing else matters. Oh, mon ami, how true it is. And it is also true that when one acquires such a habit, it becomes a necessary part of one's existence. Alas! I well know I should know too well since the three months that I sigh far away from thee that I possess thee no more than happiness has departed. However, when every morning I wake, I look for you. It seems to me half of myself is missing, and that is too true. Twenty times during the day I ask myself where you are, judge how strong the illusion is and how cruel it is for me to see and vanish. When I go to bed, I do not fail to make room for you. I push myself quite close to the wall and leave a great empty space in my small bed. This movement is mechanical. These thoughts are involuntary. Ah, well, how one accustoms oneself to happiness. Alas! One only knows it well when one has lost it. And I'm sure we have only learnt to approach how necessary we are to each other since the thunderbolt has parted us. The source of our tears has not dried up, my dear Sophie. We cannot become healed. We have enough in our hearts to love always, and, because of that, enough to weep always. Count Honor de Merbeau, Merbeau, to his uh, beloved Sophie. I believe we've done one of his before. He really quite likes Sophie. Strange that he calls her friend. My dear Nora, it has just struck me. I came in at half past eleven. Since then, I have been sitting in an easy chair like a fool. I could do nothing. I can hear nothing but your voice. I am like a fool hearing you call me dear. I offended two men today by leaving them coolly. I wanted to hear your voice, not theirs. When I am with you, I leave aside my contemptuous, suspicious nature. I wish I felt your head on my shoulder. I think I will go to bed. I have been a half hour writing this thing. Will you write something to me? I hope you will. How am I to sign myself? I won't sign anything at all, because I don't know what to sign myself. Nope, same Nora. Love letter, James Joyce to Nora Barnacle. Uh, so apparently it wasn't all just talking about how her farts are so erotic. Wouldn't you know? <clears throat> it's good that she got both kinds of letters from him. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, yes, indeed, James Joyce, dirty letters, look it up on your own time. It's something else. And speaking of starting off right at the beginning with something that sounds a little bit obscene, here's the first two letters of this love letter. Here we go. Sweetest Fanny, you fear sometimes I do not love you so much as you wish. 
my dear girl, I love you ever and ever and without reserve. The more I have known you, the more I have loved. In every way, even my jealousies have been agonies of love. In the hottest fit I have ever had, I would have died for you. I have vexed you too much, but for love, can I help it? You are always new. The last of your kisses ever the sweetest, the last smile the brightest, the last movement the gracefulest. When you passed my window home yesterday, I was filled with as much admiration as if I had seen your face for the first time. You uttered a half-complaint once that I only loved your beauty. Have I nothing else, then, to love you in but that? Do I not see a heart naturally furnished with wings imprison itself with me? No ill prospect has been able to turn your thoughts a moment from me. This, perhaps, should not be as much a subject of sorrow as joy, but I will not talk of that. Even if you did not love me, I could not help an entire devotion to you. How much more deeply, then, must I feel for you knowing you love me? My mind has been the most discontented and restless one that was ever put into a body too small for it. I never felt my mind repose upon anything with such complete and undistracted enjoyment. Upon no person but you. When you are in the room, my thoughts never fly out the window. You always concentrate my whole senses. My anxiety shown about our love in your last note is an immense pleasure to me. However, you must not suffer such speculations to molest you any more. Not will I in any more believe than you could have the least pique against me. Brown is gone out. But here is Miss Wiley. When she is gone, I shall be awake for you. Remembrances to your mother. Love Letter Jonathan Keats to Fanny Braun And it's our last love letter of the night, so thank you very much to everybody who did go ahead and request those. Oh, well, given who wrote this and the date, this will be an interesting one to end on, so here we go. <clears throat> My beloved darling wifey, Sincerest thanks for the dear letter which you gave to my messenger. I read it before going to sleep. How terrible it was parting from you and the dear children, though I knew that it was not for long. The first night I slept badly, because the engine jerked the train roughly at each station. I arrived here the next day at 5.30. It was cold and raining hard. Nicolessa met me at the station at Baranovadevich, and then we were led to a charming wood in the neighborhood, not far, five minutes' walk, from his own train. The pine forest reminds me strongly of the wood in Spala. The ground is sandy, and not at all damp. On my arrival at Statva, I went to a large wooden church belonging to the railway brigade to a short thanksgiving to them at which Shelvsky officiated. I saw Petishka, Krill, 
and the whole of the staff. Some of these gentlemen dined with me, and in the evening made a long and interesting report to me in their train, where, as I expected, the heat was terrible. I thought of you. How lucky that you are not here, I insisted, on their changing the sort of life they lead here, least before me. Today, at ten o'clock, I was present at the usual morning report, which N. received a little house besides his train, from the two chief assistants. They both report very clearly and concisely. They read the reports of the preceding day, which have come in from the army commanders, and ask for orders and instructions for the next operation. We bent over enormous maps covered with blue and red lines, numbers, dates, and the like. On my return home, I shall send you a short summary of all of this. Just before lunch, gen a general arrived, pale, thin man, with two new orders from St. George in his breast. I have appointed him adjunct general for our last victory on the Prussian frontier, the first since his appointment. After lunch, we had our photographs taken with a group in the whole of the staff. In the morning, after the report, I went for a long round in the whole of our staff quarters and passed through the rings of sentries, then came out to the outpost of the Cossacks' lifeguards, set out into the forest. They'd spend the nights in mud huts, quietly warming and comfortably. Their duty is to keep a lookout for aeroplanes, excellent smiling fellows with tufts of hair sticking out from under their capes. The whole regiment is quartered and very nearly at the church. There's very little wooden houses next to the railway brigade. A friend has gone to Warsaw and will return to Clome on Wednesday, so that I stay here for another twenty-four hours, not changing my program in other respects. I am leaving here tomorrow night and shall arrive on Wednesday morning, shall stay there till one o'clock, I o'clock, and then start for Clome, which I shall, uh, which is Clone, right? Ugh, there's so many fucking, whoever sent this in, thank you very much, but there's so many fucking proper nouns in another language. This isn't a love letter, this is a fucking status report. Clome, which I believe is cl Clone in... I believe this clone from 1800s Russian is Cologne in modern German. So Cologne, where I shall arrive at 6 o'clock in the evening on Thursday morning, I shall be in yet another town! And it proves possible, shall look without power previous in the warning at yet another name! I am not sure about yet another name! That is, I do not know whether I shall stop there. I am afraid all the troops have set out for the frontier. I had a delightful walk with yet another name in the wood, and on my return found the thick passage from your letter and six books. Warmest thanks, my dear, for your precious lines. How interesting that this is part of Victoria's letter which you have so kindly copied for me. I have heard from name number twenty-fucking-seven some time ago that the friction between the English and the French is beginning of the war. Both of these foreign attachés here have gone to Warsaw for a few days, so that I shall not see them this time. It is difficult to believe that this is... <sighs> skipping, skipping, skipping. <clears throat> I hope that you are not suffering from the abdominal pain in your jaw as you are not overtiring yourself. God grant that little one may be quiet upon my return. Your husband, Nicky. Here's the love letter portion of that fucking love letter. From Tsar Nicholas II to his wife in 1914. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's love letters. We're through it. 
Ugh. I'm going to have to scan going forward if I see a love letter like that again. I do apologize. That was not a fucking love letter. That was just torture to fucking read. Ah, I'm dyslexic. Don't give me a name with 30 fucking Russians in it that I've never heard of before. That's my anger coming out. <laughs> I would ask any of you to read that goddamn cold in front of an audience. Especially if you're not goddamn Balkans or Russian. Mm. Like the world hasn't gotten enough Russian war news in the last week. I hope whoever heard this hears my complaining and doesn't think it relates to them. But my God, that is the exact opposite of a love letter. I was on a train. Here's a war. I love you. Mm. That sounds like what men already say. That's what men already talk about. Have you ever read the Civil War fucking letters that are all romantic and they begin with like, My sweetest Annabelle, it has been a po- it has been oh, several weeks since I have written you last. Those all sound really nice, uh, but I do need you to understand, those are selected to sound really nice, because most letters that go back home do not sound like that. Most, most letters are like, oh my god, my pinky toe fell off. No, the other one. Shit like that. So war war and love letters, people try and make it work. You know, I, I mentioned uh, Josephine and Napoleon and all that uh, uh, and their love letters. And he's got a lot of love letters that are really nice. But then a lot of his love letters are be all like, so I'm walking through the corpse fields and the bishop just told me we're overdue on taxes. Like, those are in there too. <laughs> Honey, did you... Did you send the money to Spain to my brother? Because he's having to execute people again. So, I don't know what's going on. If you could send the money to Spain to my brother so he doesn't have to rope so many necks, that'd be great. Also, I had bacon today. Now, that's a joke because bacon was invented in the 1900s, and that sounds like a joke, but it's not. When they talk about bacon, they're talking about just shanks of ham. And then bacon was invented by farmers in America in the 1900s when they couldn't sell a part of the pig. So they're like, uh, this part's delicious. And also breakfast, the most important part of the day. Because breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It was just an ad campaign slogan at the beginning. And then it got co-opted by the cereal companies. (laughs) Okay. So you guys suggested some silly smut for me, but I do a lot of reading. And even though none of the news is good, because it's all war with Russia, and numbers going the wrong direction, and avocados now cost your firstborn and all that shit, uh, I did a lot of reading. I came across something uh, that I thought, well, this looks like silly smut, and I want to read it for the rest of you. So this is silly smut that I've picked up for the week. And that I'll I'll be reading. This is the first time I've ever done it on the podcast. Uh, but I came across some silly smut, and I thought, huh. yeah, this is uh, this is this is this is some my immortal shit. So <clears throat> here we go from Wattpad, including my 
absolute favorite mythological creature of all time. Here is chapter one of The Bad Boy is a Werewolf. There is a world beyond ours, one with mystical creatures and the unknown. There are those who lurk amongst us, beings that aren't meant to exist, people we aren't meant to see. A pair of gray-blue iced eyes stare me down from a mile away. I can't tell what it is, but every time I move forward, it's as if I'm not moving. As if I'm standing still. I woke up to the sun's rays, yawning. I get out of... <laughs> yawning. I hot out of bed, walking to my shower. I let the water run before standing under the warm water. Mom and Dad were still asleep, but I can't blame them. They work any time during the day, and sometimes at night. <laughs> I put a kettle in as I spread butter on bread and switched on the toaster, pulling out eggs I made on letter for us and packed Mom and Dad's. Finishing up, I walked back to my room and got easy putting on my school uniform. <laughs> I swear that's what it says. Word for word, I'm going to read that sentence again. Finishing up, I walked back to my room and got easy putting on my school uniform. <sighs> same thing. I mean, I'm just going to say, same thing to all the girls who wore uniforms to my high school. <laughs> I grabbed my bag and turned to the quiet and still house. Goodbye, I said. My voice carried out softly, and since there was no one home to reply to me, I walked out the door and headed for the school bus. <laughs> I ran at the bus stop with several other students. A few of my classmates stood beside me, and I couldn't care less. <laughs> I put my earphones on and stood still, but they didn't know what was I could hear them, and what's worse... As they are speaking about me, and I'm standing right next to them. Well, who cares? I am not very liked. People see me as an antisocial disease that has no taste in anything. But honestly, I'm just lonely and alone. The truth is, I haven't had any friends in a long time now. <laughs> it's like it's like they're writing Twilight, but just like really getting into it, you know? Like, let's not have any subtext or let's take... We're not going to take 220 pages to get to the bad guy in this one. Uh-uh. She wants to fuck a vampire. Dad's not there and she's lonely. Here we go. <laughs> the bus came into view and everyone's loaded by, one by one. I waited so I would be the last one. I found an empty space right at the back and took a seat. I looked out my window to the sky. There was a huge cloud in the bright day. I couldn't help but admire it. There were a few popular girls in front of me. They began putting on makeup. On the bus? On the bus? On the bus they began putting on makeup? Who cares what you look like? It's only happiness if you're happy with what you look like. <laughs> I choose not to say anything. <laughs> I don't want to get in a fight on the first day of my junior year of high school. Okay. Okay. We've got some setting. It's her first day. You think she would have mentioned that earlier. Tig school bus outside school. 
and walked out as soon as everyone came out. But people being the kind of people they are, they decided it would be funny to trip me, making me fall to my knees. They chuckled how funny it was to them. One day, they'll all bow down to me. Whoa! That sentence is out of left field! Okay, okay. <laughs> a motorcycle roared on the other side, capturing everyone's attention. He came in. The he everyone is afraid. The he who never spoke. The he who only looks down upon you. The he delinquent. The dark and mysterious sexy. Zoltan Smith. <laughs> He showed up at our school last year. How I would know that on my first fucking day, I've got no clue. Towards the end of the... Oh, okay. Sorry, it's not a new school. Sorry, my bad. It's her first day of freshman year. She's been here before. Towards the end of the year, he was a freshman with me. Uh... Okay. He always sat next to me, but never said a word. Probably his way of staying away from people. He's loved by everyone! Although he's antisocial like me. But yes, I'm treated like a disease when I'm antisocial. <laughs> That's why you can never trust people. They can pretend and pretend. And the day you pull their mask, they see the ugly side of them. But like I said, there's a world beyond us. One where mystical creatures walk. Even amongst us, they lurk. I stood up while everyone was distracted. Looking down... I rushed into the school, but not looking where I was going, I bumped into someone. Please, I pray, let it be a geek. Please, I pray to you, God. I looked up to see a pair of gray-blue icy eyes, the ones I've seen in my dreams, and they belong to no other than him, Zoltan Smith. Taking a step back, he looked up at my feet. Oh, I hope you all play a drinking game with every time I say the full name Zoltan Smith, because that's how she's writing it. Like it's, like it's Macy Gray. Like, <laughs> like it's a big fucking deal every time. I apologize. I said to him, and he hadn't uttered a word. Instead, he pulled me into a hug and put his face into my neck. Mate, he muttered. What the hell is happening? What am I doing? Is there a reason he's hugging me? What's mate? Is it someone he knows? I pulled back from him and took a few steps back, but I went wrong to pull back why. <laughs> I took a breath and looked him in the eyes. I'm sorry. I'm not mate. I'm Victoria. <laughs> we met before. I'm sorry. I'm not who you're looking for. I said to him honestly. All he did was stare at me in confusion. Was it something I said? I walked away from him as his glares he sent my way. Hey, Victoria, when was the last time you had a boyfriend? You're practically 17 and you haven't had one. Oh, no! The mean girls teased. That's why you put dialogue tags at the start. <laughs> Actually, I haven't had friends or people I could hang out with in the last nine years. All people are fake, and I don't need fake people in my life. I got my books from my locker and ignored the jealous stares from the girls in our school who walked to class, sitting in the back of the classroom. I faded the board. 
as everyone walked in, not knowing I was there. Zoltan walked in, and the girls gasped, fixing their makeup and dresses. But I already knew. He always did the same, always will sit next to me. After all that is his escape. After all that is his escape, sitting next to me. Okay. All right. And that's exactly what he did. He sat down, not uttering a word. I wonder why he always chose to sit next to me. Instead, if questioning him, I opened a book and began reading. That's what's different in my escape, is the mythical and unknown world that will always be my escape. I could feel him stare at me, and that's when his eyes made an imprint in my mind. I can't stop thinking about them. Are my dreams trying to tell me something? Uh, <clears throat> Chapter 2 You multiply this by blah, 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 my calculus teacher said. Zoltan had come to class only for the first period. You think he would change? Once a bad boy? Always. Or so they say. The sky was gray and dark, and surprisingly, it began raining. <laughs> and surprisingly, I didn't carry an umbrella. Well, I guess that's today's fate sealed. I huffed in annoyance. I already learnt everything the teacher is speaking about, so I get bored easily. I looked outside the window to see a figure standing in the rain, and I was shocked to see none other than him. Sultan. I stared as he stood there, his eyes closed, his face looking up at the sky. Who knew he liked rain? I guess you learn something new every day. To be honest, I've always been curious about the mysterious delinquent bad boy Zoltan. He always had a dark aura around him, and he barely spoke. He never showed interest in anyone and never bothered talking to anyone. He always looked alone, angered, and mostly he looked broken. But that was just to me. Everyone else likes him endlessly nevertheless. I don't know why, but it would feel nice to find someone like him so we could share each other's company. I sighed, clearing my thoughts and looking out the window again, but only to see he wasn't there anymore, but rather there stood an empty space being splattered with raindrops. <laughs> I love the idea that it was dry and then it started raining and he just stopped. <laughs> like, like, a, like a fucking chicken will drown if it looks up at the fucking sky when it's raining too long. Zoltan, you gotta be careful with him. When it starts raining, he'll just stop and look up at it with his eyes closed. You gotta be careful. You gotta make sure his mouth is shut. <sighs> I sat there silently, not uttering a word, just allowing the books to take me to my greatest escape. I lay my head down as I continued to read. Soon a chair was pulled up opposite me. I looked up to see gray, icy eyes. Is something the matter? I questioned him. He simply looked at me, not uttering a word. What's the matter? I questioned him. As he confused the look all over his face. Wow, she's treating him like a dog. This is how I treat pets. What's going on? What's the matter? Why are you coming over here, huh? What's going on? What is it, kitty? What is it, kitty? What do you need? <laughs> Nothing. Just curious. That's all. 
Well then, my world froze. This is the first time I heard him speak a full sentence. Other times, I couldn't even hear his voice. But when he spoke, my heart began beating rapidly. His voice was sexy as well as husky and deep. His Adam apple bobbed when he spoke, and his teeth were sparkly white. I looked away, flushed. My feet felt weak even though I wasn't walking. My heart was beating fast even though his words meant nothing. I said nothing and continued reading, and he just sat opposite me. Minutes went by and felt utterly long and excruciating. You know, I felt uncomfortable being stared at. Oh, sorry. You know, I felt uncomfortable being stared at, he said. Soon the library doors opened, and our heads snapped to the door. Oh, God! Not today, I beg of you! I'll just study extra hard just now. They made their way towards me. It was none other than the ridiculous, ugly, popular Ryan and Esmerie. I kept my head down and Zoltan just stared at them. Idiot! They looked my way and walked towards me. Fat smirks on their ugly, pretty faces. Well, this is the end. Well, 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 if it isn't the loser nerd, Ryan said, staring at me with hatred. <laughs> Who knew you needed your eyes checked out, Ryan? I questioned him. His eyes turned deadly. I guess not used to me insulting him yet. Don't talk to me like that. Insulting, honey, don't stick around with her. She'll only ruin your life. Ryan exaggerated. I don't care. Not like Zoltan and I were friends anyway. <laughs> Not getting the reaction they wanted, Esmerie frowned. Well, one girl's expression is two people's downfall. I know I'm awesome. You little bitch, Ryan yelled, just like he was about to touch me. An animal-like growl rang through my ears. Ryan froze, stepping back, fear taking over him. Esmerie looked as confused as I did, but Zoltan didn't seem phased. D did you hear that? Esmerie questioned, but I kept silent. I guess she is bad luck, she laughed non-humorously. Yeah, let's get out of here, huh? Ryan said, looking pale as though he had seen a ghost. Soon they were gone. I turned to face Zoltan, who said nothing. What just happened? Author's note. Cliffhanger! Yeah! Chapter 3 I looked towards Zoltan. All he did was look away into the library. I shook my head and continued to read my book. He looked back at me and watched me as I read. I let out a frustrated sigh and looked him. Zoltan, why are you looking at me like that? I questioned him. All he do was shake his head. Because you're pretty, he said. His voice sending shivers through my body. I, in all honesty, his voice was so sexy, husky. <laughs> she doesn't know another adjective. <laughs> So, what do you want? I asked, looking at him curiously. All he did was smile at my question. Go on a date with me, he said. I looked at him like he grew two heads. Did he bump something? Why? I asked. Because I want to take you out. Because I want to get to know you better. These are good answers, Zoltan. He smiled, showing his bright white teeth, his canines perfectly. Is it possible to have someone as beautiful as him crafted? I don't think you should go out with me. After all, I am the school's need. 
and I'm not that attractive, and I'm dull and boring. All he did was look angry at my words. Who told you this? Who dares say these things about you? He banged his hand on the library desk. Calm down. It's not like it really matters anyway. I don't care. All I care about is my future. O said to him honestly, After all, that's what I've been aspiring for. Let me say this to you, and I'll tell you over and over if I have to. You're the most beautiful, the most smartest girl I know. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. He smiled. To be honest, his words touched my heart, and it felt like it exploded. Soon a grin I couldn't control over came my face. <laughs> One more time. I'm just reading it how it's written. <laughs> Soon a grin I couldn't control over came my face. It made me happy hearing those words from him, and honestly, I don't know why. Sure, I said to him, and he looked at me confused as he cocked his head to the side. Yes, I'll go on a date with you, you big dummy, I smiled. So on a broad grin took over, and I could focus on him his smile. I can't wait. Tell me your address. I'll pick you up tonight at seven. He said in a haste, chuckling to myself, I explained all my details. Soon he smiled even bigger. Thank you for accepting. I hope I don't regret this decision. I said honestly. He nodded at me and soon sat down and continued to watch me. But this time, I didn't feel uncomfortable. This time, I felt safe. I felt happy. I felt not alone. The bell then rang, indicating it was class time yet again. I closed the book and walked out of the library, with Zoltan hot on my heels. Everyone stopped and stared at me, as of I feel, and got bird all over my face. <laughs> There's two kinds of people who write romance in high school. There's the people who write going backwards. They're full-on adults, and they're writing high school again. And this time they're writing about commentary, or like, this is what I wish I had done, or who I wish I had been, yada, yada, yada. And then on the other side, you write high school stories for people in middle school who think teenagers are so grown up and adult and, like, it's supposed to be, like, this fantasy of, like, when you get here, you're going to have it all. And everything's going to be so amazing for you. And I'm really starting to wonder if this was written by the second cab. <laughs> this is starting to feel like a 14-year-old's idea of, like, this is what adults are like and, like, what sex and attraction are like. It's kind of amazing because, like, I'm trying to imagine an actual high school like, I'll pick you up at seven and be like, yes, yes, I'm so adult now. <laughs> all right, all right, let me finish. This will be the end of chapter three. It's the end of tonight. We'll save some more of this. You guys can tell me if you want some more Zoltan next week or if we should go back to other silly studies. <clears throat> I can't get the bird dookie all over my face. Okay. Not being able to handle the crowd, I began slowing down, feeling self-conscious. I then allowed my hair to fall 
as a curtain to cover my face. Soon Shark shot up my arms, and I felt two big hands intertwining with mine. With my mine. Oh, oh God. Soon Spark shot up my arms, and I felt two big hands intertwining with my mine? I looked towards Zoltan, and he kept silent. He then whispered in my ear, Getting everyone's attention? You are beautiful. He whispered, making me hold back a moan. I seriously don't know what's going on with me. Everyone started surprised. Everyone stated. (laughs) Everyone stated. Surprised. Shocked. Oh, that would be so fucking funny to actually see a group of people just state. Surprised. Shock. Like the whole of them. All of them in unison. Just a group of people going, surprised. Shocked. (laughs) Wondering what he said to get me a flustered. Zoltan then pulled me through the crowd towards my AP English classroom. He then walked in with me, taking a seat. (laughs) It was really rare for Zoltan to attend class, yet he gets the best grades in school. I fall in second after him, which honestly sucks, but it's the best I can do. (laughs) Our teacher walked in. Zoltan's dark aura caught the teacher's attention. And the teacher looked quite surprised. Mr. Smith, it's good to see you attend class once in a while, he smiled. All Zoltan did was look at him as if he had grown two heads and then pulled me closer to him. All of the girls in the classroom shot jealous stares towards me and some fearful, why? I felt his hand feel my thigh and began stroking it. I caught his hand and stopped him before he could actually release a moan as to how good it felt. I looked towards Zoltan, only to see a smirk plastered on his perfect face. I wonder what the hill was doing to me. (laughs) H-E... Okay. All right. Okay. Woof, that's something else. All right, chapter four is called Hopes. That's what we'll read next time if that's what you guys want to hear. Or I'll be happy to read some more silly stuff next time. All right, thank you very much for coming out. It was a live show. I fucking fumbled left and right with all the names and poetry and shit. Apologies for that. But didn't lose it. Just groused a little bit, got back on with the show. Hopefully you all had a good time with it. I know I did. Here's hoping next week, sometime, somewhere, there's some fucking news story and I can open with that instead of just having to talk about what I'm doing and going on with. Either way, I'll be here. Getting stronger week by week, I like to think. Podcast is doing well. Thank you all very much for that. Share the podcast. Share it with your friends. Come on out. Uh, I really do appreciate each and every last one of you. There is a designation to tip if you are so inclined. Thank you very much for it. Your requests, your questions, all the rest, they keep the podcast on and going and keeping me upbeat and ready in the street. Don't you think? Don't you think? I do. Uh, It should be a nice, long, relaxing weekend for everybody. From me, from the kitty cats. Oh, real quick story for everybody who made it all the way here and didn't click out. I have the most fun little Binksy story because we had a surprise snow this week. So I didn't really expect to see Binksy because uh, you don't really see him in the snow. Uh, so I just did a real quick lookout for him. Uh, and I, I opened up my front door. I've got a metal door and then a wooden door and then a wooden door. So I opened up the two wooden doors. I left the metal door closed. 
And uh, Binksy came running, 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 jumped over the wall, running, running, running over to me. And then for the first time ever, stood outside the middle door while I was fixing their little box of rations and just went, just an ugly, 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 loud scream. Never really talked to me before, but was screaming bloody murder for that food and water and gave me the slow blink when I delivered it to him. So uh, there you go. There's your little Binksy story. Binksy's still alive, still begging for food, still, even when it's snowy and wet and cold and dangerous outside, doesn't want anything to do with me. Just wants the food. Thank you very much. Okay, that's the live show. Thank you all very, 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 very much. I'll see you next week. I do appreciate you all. Thank you. Good night and goodbye.